Today's episode of FYI is powered by Cartwright Productions. If you're looking for the highest quality videography and photography with a touch of creative brilliance, search Cartwright Productions on Facebook or go to facebook.com slash Cartwright Productions. Now, let's jump into the podcast. If you or a loved one need mental health assistance or are experiencing a mental health crisis, call Lifeline 24-7 on 13 11 14. Hello and welcome to another episode of FYI, all things mental wellness. Our guest today is a gentleman whose journey through life has been an extraordinary one, to say the least. Growing up with a mother diagnosed with schizophrenia and an alcoholic father meant his childhood was full of trauma, abuse, uncertainty, a journey no child should ever endure. Amazingly, as an adult, he has many successful years working in a corporate world and more recent a speaker, guide and facilitator on transformational healing. A father of eight, a very passionate Collingwood supporter and now an award-winning author, please welcome Eugene Pizzolotto. Oh, wow. Thank you. You're welcome. You know, yeah, what a nice intro. Welcome, Eugene. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Nadia. Thank you. Yeah, I'm pleased to be here. As I said, as I walk in, I, I, I could feel, I appreciate the opportunity to share my story and uh, my, my cells are talking to me <laughs> mm. uh, from, from what happened. Yeah, so, yeah, thank you. Beautiful intro. Oh, thank you. Eugene, can we, you grew up in Myrtleford? Yeah, so I, I landed in Myrtleford on my second birthday. So born in Kuirup, just out of Melbourne. Yes. And then arrived in Myrtleford on my second birthday and lived there for up, up until 13 and then moved here to Wodonga. Yeah, so where the tra- trauma continued. Mm. Can you take us back to the to the start in in the in your early childhood in Medford? <sighs> oh, God. Yeah, I can. <laughs> if you can. Yeah, I can. If I can. comfortable. Yeah, yeah. No, I can. No, I can. I can. Um, so I grew up. I have uh, had one brother and, and a sister who sadly passed away, died tragically, Um and we grew up, my mum and dad came from Italy, both running from trauma. So we talk, I mean, we'd heard the term generational trauma. So not only did they have generational trauma, then both suffered from mental health issues. So my father became a violent alcoholic and my mum became a schizophrenic because the, the, it all became all consuming. And sadly, mm-hmm. sadly, in that time, it was a little bit different where... A lot of people weren't interested in um, personal things or, or if there's problems with families, they tend to mind their own business. Mm. Uh, and sadly, um, my father was a jealous, possessive man uh, who never knew how to love a woman because his mother absolutely hated him. Right. And sadly, he, that, that projected onto my mum. And my mum had a very traumatic childhood and... Um, bought a one-way ticket to marry my father and then, you know, almost become trapped in a country that, you know, supposed to be the lucky country. Mm. I went to St. Mary's last week and I can't remember, I can only remember about three days of my whole childhood. St. Mary's obviously being the primary Primary school school. that you attended in Myrtleford. Yeah, and it's quite emotional to go back there because they're promoting, um, which I'll talk about the book later, Mm. but, um, but I can't remember. Like, my mind's blocked out. Um, and, and the memories I do have of just horrible, horrific, lonely. Yeah. Um, and all I can remember is um, just wanting to be a normal kid. Mm. Of course. Uh, that's all we ever want our children to experience is to be a normal child. Take your time, Eugene, because, yeah, you, you've had a fairly busy couple of weeks with the launch of your book and probably revisiting a lot of past trauma again. It's very, um, it's very, hum- it's very humbling for me to um, – I've lived in the shadows my whole life and it's very humbling to you – know, I've been ashamed of my story, so you hide and you pretend and you put a mask on. And so it's very humbling when people have an interest 
um, because I didn't have that experience as a child. You know, I'll just go through a couple of, you know, examples where um, any time my mum made a friend in the community, my dad would move because he didn't want us to, anyone to know who we were. So in the first 13 years of my life, I moved 13 times. I never had one friend as a, as a child. Like as I think of this and then look at the struggles I've had in life in friendships, it's it's foreign for me. So what I what I learned to do was survive. I think nearly every day, I've sadly became my mother's carer. There's a I think they had some medical term they call it surrogate husband. So I was like emotional support. It's interesting. This last few weeks has brought my brother and I closer because we both come from the same horror story, and so we've been. You know, talking about why is it that we turn out differently? Why does one child go one way and one go the other? And and I've always had, you know, was it given to me the role? Did I want the role? But I really liked supporting my mum. Like I felt something I wanted to do. And I've always been someone who's fought for the underdog and I've done that willingly. So, I, you know, was I more empathetic? Mm-hmm. Like I could feel things and... So I took that role. So, so my role, my childhood consisted of me being responsible for my mum. And what, what, what sort of age was that, Eugene? From four to sixteen. Yeah, from four God. to sixteen. It's 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 so hard to fathom, isn't it, Dave? From mm. four to sixteen. I mean, yeah. you're you're learning important life skills. You're supposed to be learning from your parents, your role models. Yet you were somewhat modelling for them. Certainly. Yeah, yeah. So sadly, yes. Um, I can't recall. Like, I, I, I think I missed the majority of my childhood. I, the number, like I say, 50%. Was it more? Was it less? I can't recall. I can't, like, I can't remember. You know, I could probably mm. remember a handful of days at mm. my primary school. And I can remember only handfuls of days at, at um, Marion College mm. as well. But w- my life consisted of walking on eggshells. Um, I was really good at turning off. I could turn my mind off and pretend the weekend didn't exist and Friday come Monday, so that's when Dad went back to work. And I think I mastered turning off. Like, I've got years I just can't remember. Um, mm. I don't want to remember. I've done plenty of work. I've healed lots of trauma. The thing I found really difficult was, um, and this has affected my adult life, is how do you fit in or know what to say and do when you have no community? for your whole childhood. Like that was so painful to, you know, you'd be terrified at school if someone had asked you something because you had nothing to contribute. Um, so it was difficult. It was really, so you become, I became a master survivor. Mm. Yeah, master survivor. And, you know, to hear you say you had nothing to contribute, that in itself is is really, really sad because, you probably had lots to contribute. You, you you would have been well above your years, I would imagine, the things you would have been exposed to. You would have been well beyond your years. You would have known more than what any child your age would have known about life. Oh, from a life perspective. From a life yeah, perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Academically, yeah. how did that look for you? So yeah. when you went to school, how, how did you cope academically? I didn't. So one of the things I was talking to my brother, I need- the last few weeks was um, we're 20 months apart and my parents kept him back a year and set me early. So I was the youngest in the class and he was the oldest in the class. So I had the the, the challenge of um, being the youngest and probably wasn't, you know, my mind wasn't as capable. Like I mean, someone who's 20 months or a year older than me at that time. And then I had the stress of what was happening at home. So um, academically it was very, very difficult. Um, I mean, I, I struggled. Um, I have a learning. It takes me a lot longer to learn today. I, I finally get there, but I have to work very, very hard to to mm. learn a new skill or do something mm. um, because it, I never learned that. I can't recall learning. Mm. I can't recall one one day of class time. Wow. And be, before we jump to your adult life, because that question yeah. automatically makes me think how – and the hell did you, you know, work in the corporate world for so long? But but before I ask you that question, 
What did the days at home look like when you are caring for your mother? Like, can you explain what they look like? Was it just being there or were you a carer as in, you know, were you cooking, were you cleaning, were you somewhat providing in the household or was it just being there, Eugene? Yeah, so I'll give you um, a couple of experiences I had. So my mum, schizophrenia, you know, and I say my mum became a schizophrenia because I, I think she reached her threshold and then snapped, her source okay. sna- snapped and couldn't handle her reality. So as a six-year-old, my mum would, um, you know, the voices, so schizophrenia is an awful condition, you know, the voices um, are real for the person. Mm-hmm. And so my mum came to me for comfort because the voices are telling her we're going to die. Um how old were you then, sorry, UJ? Six. Six. So my job was to comfort her. And so I knew I could see her fear. So in that time, all I could do is focus on her, supporting her. And I could remember praying. And then I could remember going to bed and putting boxes around my bed because I was terrified, thinking that would stop the water when the water came. Because my mum used to think, you know, the, the biblical story, no on the water. So she's think the flood's coming, we're all going to drown. And so I would pray, comfort her, and then be terrified, and then nothing happened. But then this would happen again. So like three, four weeks later, this would happen again. And so you go through the same trauma again, and then you go through it, and then I started realising there's this pattern. So then by then I wasn't that scared, but you weren't sure, like you just didn't know. So, so that was trying to support someone with schizophrenia, you know, the, the thing I found difficult was the lack of support from the community mm. and the mental health system. Mm. And you know, I detailed this in my book. There's some horrors. You know, I'm 12, 10 or 12, and my mum was in and out of Mayday Hills seven, seven times, I think, six or seven times in, before I was 10, 12. So Mayday Hills being the- Mayday B- Hills Beechworth. Yeah, yeah. 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 And- and mental health back then was not what it was today. No. It was, um, you know, they should all be jailed, I think. It was horrific. And the interpreter didn't turn up this day. So they asked me, they asked a little boy to interpret. So, so you, you feel you have to, right? You have to interpret. Yeah. So general questions, you know, how's your mum, general health and well-being. And, and then they are, the nurse, the psychiatric nurse said, Eugene, is there anything your mum would like us to know? So I asked my mum and she said, yeah, there is. Um, she said, can you ask my husband to stop raping me? And they did nothing. They did fucking nothing. Nothing. I didn't even check in. And that moment has messed with my sexuality my whole life because thinking, this can't be okay. But nothing. Like, there's no follow-up. There's no, let's go and see if these boys are okay. So that's really difficult. Um you know, if I go fast forward to um, <sighs> 15, you know, I finally am strong enough to stand up to my dad hurting my mum. So as a, as a result, he tries to stab me. And then, you know, I'll, I'll get away and get the police. The police knew, but my mum said, you're not charging him. <laughs> it was like a double whammy, like, because me being her carer, then I couldn't go against her. I mean, it was the worst, most horrific day of my life mm. that day, but. The police said nothing. They, they knew. I told them. They go, well, if you don't charge, you can't do nothing. So no one, welfare didn't turn up. Mm, like I found that really. So then what happens is you take on and think, well, you know, it must be bad or not worthy or if no one gives a shit, like then. That's right. It was difficult. It was hard. It was survival. It was all survival. I can't mm. give you one good day of my childhood. Mm. And you know that that sort of gives us a picture too, Dave. Would you why yeah. you've blanked so much out? Because yeah. or, or you've forgotten or you, you have no recollection because you, you must have had to have lived like that. Why would you want to keep reliving and and remembering those sorts of moments and days? And yeah, I, I think I think it was a survival mechanism. Yeah, like I think it was like well. You just let in what needs to be in and just survive the rest. Yep. Um, and, yeah, sadly, sadly, uh, I've got this too many of those ex- yep. stories. Like there's no, um, yeah, I was angry with the church because my dad was a hero. 
you know, this man looking after schizophrenic woman, you know, I, I thought, you know, I'm so angry with him. I'm thinking, mm. oh, Two-Face, like, how could mm. this be? Mm. No one ever came into our home, ever. So no one came into your family home, but why didn't they come into your family? Were they not allowed to come well, into well, your family? Well, my dad kept moving to isolate, but what, there's no community. There was no- Right. There's no, like, when I say isolation for me, I, I miss so much schooling. My world consisted of mum, dad, brother. My, my sister was too young. Like I said, she was only two and a half months old, sadly, when she died. And that's it. That was that was my world for the majority of my childhood. So, mm. so from a, 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 you know, talking to other people or mm. modelling or seeing. That's right. It was, um, my yeah. dad designed it that way, I believe. Yes, yeah. yeah. Sounding like that. I just can't. God, how, how do you move? Like, what, what do you do when that situation, you're at Mayday Hills and your mother asks that question and nothing's done? How old were you, Eugene, then? Hey, there was 10 or 12. 10 or 12. Like, you don't have the physical power, the ability, the 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 intellect to go any further than that. At, at that age and in those times, where, where are you going to go? There's no internet. You probably didn't have a home phone. No. I don't know. Like, no, no. So, no. Yeah, you no. know, your hands are – if we – you know, sort of put ourselves in that time frame. There's not a lot of age difference between us all. Yeah. What What do you do opposed to today? Like, well, what I did was I internalised it and then thought, well, this must be a lot. Because I, when no one turned up, then you get to accept that. I knew it was wrong at every level, but couldn't understand why. Like mm. they're thinking, well, yep, that's our lot. Like, yeah, yep. Like they, 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 they couldn't even. So I got took it to that point, but it did mess with my sexuality. Like it mm. did. I became, and I was so scared of, so scared of hurting anyone that mm. you know I just shut down. Like you know, there, there's no fear of, yeah, which is you know, spent spend a lifetime so. to work on that. So yeah, which I have, but yeah, it's been incredible. Um, at that age, I, my my children are eight and six at the moment, and to be, it's just impossible to comprehend my daughter's uh, even understanding what how to accept reality at that at, at that age just yeah yeah it's it's unfathomable so eugene as as you got older you you mentioned there at 15 you, you tried standing up to your dad because mm. you were physically a bit bigger and stronger and you went to the cops because he tried attacking you so your mother, and I'm surmising here that um, obviously her background, being a proud Italian woman, she couldn't go against your father in that regard. W would that be fair? Um, well, it's probably a little bit more than that. So, okay. so sadly, there's a term called codependency, and so it goes beyond culture. Mm. And I think it, it doesn't discriminate. So she's become so dependent on my father that it's almost this becomes this hate, hate love relationship that. You know, should be like the, the the police said to me, eight to ten years jail guaranteed, attempted murder, because they had so many complaints from neighbours, which made me angry. And I'm thinking, well, if you had all those complaints, wouldn't you do nothing, do something? Mm, yeah. And they said you can't till you ch unless someone charges them. So here's your chance. And then my mum said, no, I can't. But my mum sadly was was codependent on my father. So and 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 you know, if you understand codependency, it's, it's a pretty difficult. Yeah, you know, she has schizophrenia. She's codependent. So, you know, better the devil you know. I mean, she couldn't see, you know, at the time I couldn't see this, and this is what hurt me a lot, was she couldn't see that my father tried to kill me. She's just thinking, hey, you're not sending away my dad. Um, so, you know, I, I, like I actually don't know what was worse. Was it my father trying to kill me and my mother throwing me under the bus or the system doing nothing? Like I, I don't know which mm -hmm. one was the worse. I'll probably do. I think my mum throwing me under the bus was the worst because I've always was caring for her and thinking, God, this is, you know, I finally was old enough to do something yes. and then, yeah, it was um, – so codependency is, yeah. is, a, is a genuine condition that – so there's many factors. You know, she's scared, you know, what would happen, you know, better what you know than what oh, you don't know. Um, so yeah. what then? So well, that, that that was obviously a, a very yeah, – <laughs> yeah, that was a big kick in the guts, wasn't it? Before we move forward, can oh. you explain or share your father's – day-to-day -day 
personality, his traits, his like he sounds like a very Yeah, so so my father's drunk in my memory, ninety nine percent of the time. And he was an angry drunk. So right, someone said to me, If you want to know someone, look at them when they're drunk and, and you'll see who their true character is. Mm. And I thought I'm a big teddy bear, I just want to sleep and cuddle, which yeah. is interesting. Um so he was always angry and it didn't take much to, to trigger him, like it didn't much. I mean, I'll, I'll share one story. This last time he worked, he worked at the Myrtleford Sawmill, and um, he used to always reference this one guy called Bianco, which in Italian means white hair, right? And I used to think, who is this guy? Like, cause my dad would come home, and that's where I used to block weekends out, like even angrier than angry. Like, it was like, I'm thinking, who's this guy that can do this to my dad? Like, it used to affect like the eggshells were, you had to really be careful. Or I, I had, you know, that's how I interpret it. And later on, when I entered the workforce, I used to go, I want to know who the hell that was, that guy. Like, who can have that effect? I was just his shop floor supervisor. Like, he was, like, I'm thinking he's like the CEO or, mm. and I'm thinking, so I said, so Dad, what, who was this guy? He said, I was my, my supervisor. I said, I said, what do you mean it was your supervisor? I said, I thought the way you used to speak about this guy, Thought he was someone quite significant. He goes, well, he bloody sure self thought he was. I said, what was the issue? And it was just he couldn't handle being managed. And so then he'd, then he'd lash out. So it didn't take him much to go yeah, off. The power shift. Yeah, it didn't take much to. And, and uh, look, I've done a lot of work and I've, I've actually today went and sat at the grave of mum and dad and just talked to him. I said, you know what, I'm going to tell our story. I've completely forgiven my father to get to that point. I had to really go and have a look at what happened to him. And what happened mm. to him was horrific, was horrific. Like the way he was treated by his own mother, he had no ability in him to know how to love anyone, like none. Even if he wanted to, he couldn't have done it. So then here he is stuck in a country, you know, and sadly my mum gets schizophrenia. He can't, he doesn't know how to cope. So he drinks more, gets really angry. And then any, every all of us copped it. Mm. And it was like, yeah, it was, um, yeah, sadly very hurt, very angry. And, you know, if in my time it was, you know, they didn't come and look at me. And he, it was very difficult back mm. then for, for yes. men to, to talk about stuff. So he was like trapped in a, his own hell and sadly caused a lot of pain. God, yeah. kudos to you for... Um for yeah, letting go of that anger and and resentment, and doing the work to find out why he was like that, because yeah, that's that's a very brave thing to do, Eugene. Very brave. It's a big burden to carry that much pain. Yeah, yeah like, it like is. it's a big burden, and yeah. and and I've, <laughs> I've spent my lifetime trying to get rid of it, and I can say today I have, but it's taken a long, long, long time. Yeah. I mean, the question before I think was what next? If, if I, so I'm 18. I'm not embarrassed anymore to share this story, but you know, someone said to me, you know, when you're 18, everything will be great. You know, you'll be 18. You can now do your own thing. This is how naive I was. I actually waited for the day to see what was going to happen. Mm. And then nothing happened. It's like, well, why would they say that to me? Mm. Why would they tell me today is going to be better? Like nothing changed. It was. Mm. It was, it was awful. I was angry. I was like, and then you think, well, what do you do? Like, what do you do? And so, you know, my influence was, you know, the little TV we watched, you know, social, you know, whatever the world was promoting, you know, get a job, get a family, yeah. go on holidays, yeah. buy a house. Who was around you at this time? Just the same people. Just there's no one. I still hadn't moved. Um, I, I moved out 17 but didn't know how to cope and came back and, so I'm thinking, right, work hard. I can do that. And so I started working and um, put so much pressure on myself that I used to think my job was only good for one day. I did that for years. Like that's the level of stress, like, and be grateful that I had the job for the next day. And I did this for years, even after I passed probationary periods. And so I just head down, work, you know, worked really, really hard. And, um, you know, I had, you know, I was very, very fortunate had no idea how to relate. You know, I was married at 20. Um, wow. Married 23 children, divorced at 25. Had no clue on how to be a father. Uh, I, I was good at working. <laughs> mm. 
But to be present, I, I, I didn't know how to do that. Mm. I, I didn't know how to do that. Like it was, um, you know, I've, t- I've come up with this saying, um, you know, you can't give what you don't have. Like, how can you do that? Like, and, and you can't receive what the hell you don't know. Like it was, um, so if I look back now, yeah, like it was, I worked hard. I, I focused on what I could influence and divorced and then um, had a little breakdown when I was 32 because I was a workaholic, like I exhausted myself and no one came. I was in bed, 48 hours, not one person called me and that was my wake-up call. So I was just workaholic. Like I was there for everybody else, but I'd let no one be yeah. there for me. I didn't know how to do that. And so my healing journey began. Um, at 32. At 32. Yeah, and today, you know, 3,000 hours later and a lot of work. Mm. Like I've done it all. Mm. Um so it was difficult. I think what I found, what I struggled in adult life was that I didn't know where to ask for help, didn't know who to trust because no one had ever supported me. The best experience I had was, one of the best experiences I had was the Bungie Bakery Group, Sunnycrest Bakeries, yep. who, who, who you would know here. I, was, I started working for them and, and they, um, they saw something in me. They saw potential. This is This is a classic story. I said, we'd love to develop you. And I went, oh, wow. I said, yeah. I said, I'd love that. And so I said, Lord, leave us with us and we'll develop this plan and come back to you. And um, they come back and said, um, we've done the plan. We'd like to share it with you. I said, great. And they said, the first course we'd like you to do is we'd like to send you to acting school. <laughs> and I lost my shit. I said, what the fuck? I said, you're taking the piss. I want to be a serious manager. I lost my shit. I said, why the? I was so hurt. I said, why the fuck would you do that? And they just paused and they were so calm. And they said, because you take yourself too seriously. <laughs> <laughs> and that landed. That la- And I went, mm. I was so grateful. Like they weren't worried how I reacted. And I went, oh, wow. And I went and did that. I went, I went and did acting NIDA level one, level two. Wow. Um. And it was the best thing. The like, I really, I felt so appreciated by them that I were like, it was really difficult to do you know, for me to do the course with other aspiring actors. I was the only business person there, mm. and that was. And then they invested in you know they you know, trained the trainer and had to run successful meetings and soft skills training. What they did is they got around me and said, you know, what does this guy need, and how do we develop him? And I felt like I had the best. I was offered um, six promotions in 12 years there. Yeah, I became, I think, one of the youngest sales managers in the company, had incredible, I was part of the leadership group. It was incredible. It was incredible. But what they did is they looked beyond what I didn't have and supported me with what I needed. Mm. And and, and I respected them. And sadly, Mm. due to takeovers, um, yeah, so I was very, very fortunate that that happened, and that's that's that supported me in corporate. Like, how did I? Because you know, I I think I've had a really successful corporate career. I've had some, you know, I think, pretty significant roles for someone who didn't go to you know, miss so much schooling. Mm. And I was national sales training development manager for Nestle, general GM sales operations. You know, multi million dollar companies. But it started there. Mm. Like it started with Sunnycrest. They, they they that set the path. That must have been a an amazing sense of release for you act like going into acting considering your childhood of the emotions that you get through acting and being around other people like-minded people going into that release and all those kind of emotions you finally got to to share and enjoy yourself yeah so so it's it's i enjoyed doing it but i always still felt I was the like I can remember doing this one exercise. I had to be a fish. <laughs> I can imagine being, you know, a fi- I was the leader of the the school of fish, right? <laughs> like it was, I was like jumping off the cliff. It was really, and and I did it. They they, they egging me on. I could appreciate it in the moment, but I couldn't. It wasn't enough. Like it was a nice experience, but it still didn't. I still felt like I was the odd one. Like I still felt. I've struggled to feel like I belong, like I've really, mm. really struggled. But it, it, it was playful and it was nice. If I kept it going, it, it, I reckon I would have got there. 
but it was too short um, to fully mm. appreciate the. It's funny yeah. you asked that question, Dave, because as Eugene was explaining that, I thought, oh, God, this poor kid's been put into another environment that he hasn't asked for, that he's really left field. Mm. Mm. And, yeah, just hearing you answer that question in the moment, you loved it. But, again, to a certain degree, you felt a yeah. little out of your depth. Yeah. Excluded. Yeah. So I, I, it must I, have been tough. I, I felt um, a, a lot. I mean, someone came to my book launch in Melbourne and they read the first chapter and said, I thought I knew you. I said, no idea. I said, no one, mm. knew, no one knew any of that. I mean, it, it's not something like, you know, if you go to a party, oh, tell me about your childhood. Mm. I could never have a com- Like, no one wants to hear that. So mm. I, I I can't contribute anything. So um, it was very difficult. It's very, very difficult to – and so you shut up and then you've got nothing. You can't – I don't have any experiences to share, sadly, and very few people can handle the depth of mm. that comp because it's not pleasant. But – Retrospectively, looking at it, do you wish you had of told them? Mm. No, really. Yeah, oh, because because what I've realised is um, today, yes, then no, because yeah, then okay. I because then I still hadn't healed, and I it's still pretty raw for me. So, yeah. where today today I, I I feel very well, I feel comfortable. Like it's it's a bit of you know tension in my body sharing now. But I'm comfortable to share because what I've realised is that there are other people who are struggling, mm. and and um, I've always loved helping people. So if I write the book in the hope it can help one person, so if it can do that, so I'm thinking, yeah, I can do that. And someone you know, advised me many many years ago and said, Eugene, your story is so horrific that once you heal, you've got a lot to offer. I mean, I wasn't ready to hear that at the time. And that's always sat there. He mm. said, you know, your valley's so deep, Eugene. And so it always sat there and I thought, okay, and and I do healing work and I do transformational work. I can hold any container on anything that's happened with anyone. Like it's my gift now. So from that perspective, I'm comfortable talking mm. about it. But when I wasn't ready. Yeah. And and that worries me a little bit. And that's, that's your take and it's your story and, you know, good for you. But- that concerns me, you know, that concerns me if we went back there that you felt your story or you're coming more from a, an angle that because you hadn't healed, you weren't comfortable to share with anyone. Well, yeah. I, so the, the issue was that I didn't meet anyone I felt safe enough that I yeah, could share the story and with. and that worries me. So, so that, that, that so the, the concern there- yeah. Do you also feel as a society back then nobody would be ready for that kind of information as well? Totally. Like yeah. that was yeah. hard. Very green for everybody. Any any sense of information or of other people's privacy or it was mm. just unheard of. Yeah. But now through every platform and social media you feel like you know if someone's taken the dog for a walk or Correct. Totally. Yeah. Back mm. in back then. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we didn't have the skills or the people skills or the yeah. to yeah. how do we share this kind of information? Yeah, yeah, mm. they would all look at you. Yeah, like they would they wouldn't know how to absorb it. One hundred percent. Yeah, and, and, and that and that's yeah, absolutely. So there's the two. One, my story. There's there's nothing pleasant in it, and so it doesn't make it for a good party conversation. And if I did, then it's heavy. And you're right; they, they, it's not because they're bad people. It's just no. It mean, and then so when this react, like I, if we talk about, I'm going to talk about um, therapy. And I think mm. I might have heard you, you you mentioned this on your podcast. Is I was 27 and went to a psychiatrist, and after eight visits, I wanted to kill myself. That's a psychiatrist for crying out loud. So I'm not definitely not going to talk it to, to a person who doesn't know. So it, it, yeah, it took a lot of, um, a lot of years and yeah. a lot of work and a lot of healing. And, you know, once, once I got there, then now I'm comfortable because I don't have to go into all the trauma. I can talk about, mm. you know, give an overview of what it is and, mm. you know, what happened to me. But, you know, early on, I think one of the mistakes I made with my family is I, I talked about my story, what my dad did, and I talked about, but it was like a, regurgitated old story. It didn't have an out, didn't have an ending. And so it was 
like it was, yeah, I think they got sick of hearing it. Um, okay. And I think I created that because I didn't know how to, how to talk about it either. And I did try to do it in the family and I actually, they did. I think they got sick of it. Like, we don't want to hear it about it anymore, Dad. So, you know, okay. It's because I was unhealed. Mm. Um, so, um, where today, like, I don't need to tell the story. I can just talk about the effect of the story. Yes. Um, and, 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 you know, that helps me and it possibly helps others. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So, how did, um, how did therapy go? Because, you know, that's important. That's an important <sighs> journey. God, I thought this question. Through healing. Yeah. So. You, you obviously saw a psychiatrist. No good. Terrible. For you, no. Um, so healing, so there's some great therapists out there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And there's some terrible ones and some that should not be doing what shouldn't be working with people, right? And if you listen to this and don't like working with people, get out. I find, I, so I found, you know, the first one was psychiatrist and it was awful. It was an awful experience. Um, I finally had the courage to share that my father tried to stab me. And I want to sh- just share this. I didn't want to share that my father stabbed me because I felt ashamed that I was the kid that was that bad that my dad wanted to kill me. So I didn't want anyone to know that. Not that what he did was bad. So just put that in your head. So it took me a long time to say that, to say how how traumatised I was, and the bastard wasn't even listening. Like, I, I couldn't believe, like, I, to me it was like the system kept letting me down. So I shut shop then. I went, I, I definitely can't trust the system. But then eventually after the, the, the breakdown at 32, uh, my sister-in-law said, this inner child workshop, you should go. And I met an incredible therapist who actually said to me after two days, Eugene, I don't have what you need. I just don't. But these people might. And I loved her for that. So so healing, how was healing for me to answer that question? Healing was good. It was bad. It had everything. But healing did not give me what I needed. Didn't show me how to live life. Like no part of the healing, after I'd, I'd done the healing work, I then release some trauma and then come back to life. But where were the skills? I didn't know how to relate. Mm. I didn't know how to communicate. I didn't know how to love myself. So it actually started to make my life worse. So the more I healed, the more I couldn't handle my life. And that's part of why I created the 10 elements of transformational healing because what I realized was after doing the healing work, and realising that now I'm not handling the world I created, I thought, well, what's missing? So what I realised is I didn't know how to love myself. So I thought, right, I'm that's a pillar. I don't know how to communicate or have boundaries. Learn how to master that. Then there's healing. And then there was understanding the triggers to my trauma and having the tools. So when it does happen, I'm, I respond to life. So I used to react, which cost me losing my family, my children, um, because I couldn't handle how I felt, and I regret that. But I, I, so I took everything everyone said personally. So the more work I did, the more I took things personally, which is like just doesn't make sense. But it felt like razor blades were cutting me, and I'm so I'm reacting and hurting the people I love. So when I got understood the triggers to all my traumas, like now if it comes within two minutes, three minutes, gone. But it used to take me days. Ruminate and stress, and yeah. So I think there's actually a bit of a gap in the healing world. I, I think um, I think that we need to look at the whole person, not just trauma. And I was like the perfect candidate for trauma. It's yeah, I mean, and they were overwhelmed with my story, rather than saying, "Well, does this guy have the life skills? Does this guy know how to live? Does this guy know how to communicate?" Which we think in today's world, everyone does. Mm, that's right. So yeah, I didn't get that focus. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot to learn. It's a lot to mm. learn mm. when you've missed those important years of your developmental. Yeah, it's just tough incredible, to incredible to think that you're an author. You're, yeah, <laughs> mm. that you've, you, you know, I mean that the nicest you've written a book, and I just this is all very incredibly overwhelming for me. Thank you. Obviously, you are an author. We're going to talk about your 
book that you're also a father. Can you share? Yeah, um, ch- children and so so I have I have a challenged relationship with my children. I have a brilliant, and I have a challenged. Obviously, as I've evolved, you know, I made a lot of mistakes. Um, I have some regrets. Some regrets, which I'm, I'm I'd love to share. Um, and my biggest crime is I would react and then um, because I, I felt I was protecting myself but not realising I was actually hurting the people I love, which you know, affected you know, my marriage. Um, and I couldn't handle, I couldn't, so I'm going to say um, certain conversations, certain things, so I would react to that. So I was a verbal person. I was never physical. But, you know, words you know, can sometimes be more painful. Um, and so today I can calmly say, no matter what anyone says, I just say, yeah, look, get you're there. Like I don't take it on, but I took everything on. So so with five children last year, so as I've been evolving, I've, I've you know, tried to put boundaries in place. But And this is what I think about from a therapy perspective. No one said, Eugene, if you do more work, your world's going to be different. Um, so you need to go and communicate to people that you're going to have to have to put boundaries in. You need to communicate. No one told me that. So I'm just thinking, right, I, I, now I went from no boundary to, well, this is how it is. So they go, Ooh. so So they're reacting to that. I think I'm doing the right thing by protecting myself, but actually what I'm doing is jarring them. And in that process, a lot of damage was done. So, you know, I've, I've acknowledged that I've made some painful mistakes. But the flip side of that is that my three youngest children – I have the most remarkable relationship. Like I can't, everything I've wanted to be as a father, I am. We communicate, we have amazing boundaries, we love each other, we respect it, we're really clear about who we are. I've worked really, really hard on creating that, but but they're the youngest. So they've seen dad fall, break, smash, pick himself up, and, and, and but the others haven't. So that's really painful for me. You know, I've, I've left the door. Yeah, I hope, you know, my door's open. I'd lo- I, lo- I love every one of them dearly. I've, I, yeah, there's nothing I wouldn't do for any of them. And but sadly, you know, I, I create pain and I take real responsibility for that. So there's been a balance. So, and to me, what really hurts is if you saw, you know, when I launched my book, my two youngest boys, sadly, the other boy couldn't be there because he had to go to Darwin for work. I mean, they're not huggers. They, they don't like to hug dad in front of everyone else. It's not cool when you're 16 and 18. Um, but, you know, they just came up, hugged me individually, and they said, Dad, you know, and, and uh, we want to now have a, a family hug, and cry. we all cried together. And it was just like it was the moment of my life, mm. like that moment to, to see my boys be so proud in seeing their dad get up and, and deliver. Um, so I've been able to create it with some, and, and I'm hoping I can um, heal and restore with the others mm. in time. Yeah. That's brilliant. It's good to see your face light up when you talk about the beautiful relationship you, yeah. you've got with the youngest three. Yeah. And what incredible kids they must be mm. is to see that full yeah. circle, mm. the ups, the downs and everything in between and and um, and, and see that- their dad put that work in. Yeah. That's that pres- presence you were talking about earlier. You know, it's, yeah. fi- it's finally, yeah, you finally and, feel yeah. it's incredible. Mm. I used to be so scared to be present. Well, I didn't know what it was, but mm. now it's all I live for. Like all I live for, like now all I have is this moment here with you where, you know, years ago or th- up to three years ago, I'd be thinking, you know, what do they think? Like I, my mind would be everywhere else. Like I, I couldn't where now I'm just, yeah, and, and even for, it feels awesome in, within me and then I can bring that with them and they're now demonstrating that, which is beautiful, mm. um, beautiful, yeah. It's a good spot to get to, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> so this book author, yeah. <laughs> author, educator. Can I can I just come back to something you said yeah. and, and I just want to acknowledge you for just what you said before about me being an author is um, when I – I'm really overwhelmed with what's been happening. Like I'm, I've, I've never – I'm not used to anyone acknowledging me and, and there's been so much love come my way in the last two two months that it's I'm just allowing and being vulnerable and allowing it to feel. And I wrote the book in the hope to, and I'll come to a point I want to make because what you said, 
in the hope, I thought I'm going to write the book as raw and as real as it was for me. And it's going to frustrate some people because I've done it from my vantage point. And from my vantage point, I found life very difficult. I found life difficult as a child. And that part is quite um, self-explanatory. But what I try to explain, in the, rather than just say this trauma happened, I say this was the, the experience I had and this was the meaning I gave the experience. Because what I realised is it wasn't the experience that stuffed me up. It was the meaning I gave it. And the meaning of that affected every area of my life. Like if, like that day that my father tried to kill me, that day, the meaning I gave that was um, if I stand up for what I believe and I'll die, I'm not worthy of being supported and I'll be abandoned no matter what I do. And I've recreated that in my adult life, creating so much pain, but I wasn't conscious of it. And when I, when I had my mental breakdown, I recreated those three things. But this, the difference this time wasn't my dad trying to kill me. It was me trying to kill myself. And when I, when I linked all the patterns, that's where then the 10 elements come. I thought, God, there's, there's got to be more to this healing stuff. And that's why the book came. So in writing the book, I'm, I try to be as real as I can. You know, it's a hard read. It's a hard read. But in the middle part where I'm navigating adult life, I actually try and look at it from my point and share it that I struggled. I struggled and I found things difficult and I found conversations difficult and I reacted and um, others reacted in the hope that people go, God, because so, what I'm realising, other people go, I can relate, I can relate, I can relate. And it's surprising me how many people can relate. And then the third part of the book is the, the roadmap, so that the 10 elements that anyone can look at and people are saying, God, I'm starting to realise things I never realised. Because my biggest Achilles heel was I didn't know that I was replaying the same stuff. And once I started to know that, then I thought, I now can control it, or I can now heal it, or I can now neutralise it. So that's why I've written the book. And it's been incredible. Already in the short time, I'm, can I be really honest? I didn't stop to think someone might read the book. <laughs> like you write the book, write the book, write the book, and then I finished it and I went, oh, right, this is now out, right? Like, and I was comfortable for it, but I didn't stop to think. And um, it's now an international award-winning, mm. won two awards, which- Absolutely blown my mind. It's the Kirkus Reviews, who, who have reviewed Barack Obama and Michelle Obama's book, have given it an excellent review. They've actually they've really taken in what I was trying to do with the book. Um, so it's been extraordinary. It's been extraordinary. So sitting at the Crown Casino, this is the point I was going to make. Uh, it was awards. Well, so we, we launched the book. So 25 authors, and then there was awards night. And I entered the book in self-help. And didn't win self-help, so I thought fine. But they thought they were so they so liked the biography, the narrative that I, I won best book biography and narrative, which just moved me. I was so emotional, so I got up, got the award, and sat down, and and, and my son Luke, who's sixteen, just says, "Says Dad, said you didn't go to school, and here you are, mm. award-winning author of a book." He said, "I'm really proud of you." Yeah, it's powerful. It was just like wow, like it was just. Yeah, it was a hard. It was hard. It was really difficult for me to write because writing was difficult. I had a, an incredible author, and I'm going to call it out, Mem Davis, who trauma affected people. Well, I, me, I've, I've got to write everything because no one ever heard me. So I've, I've got to write every single detail. And she, and she, she said, "Eugene, can I mentor you?" I said, I'd, I'd love that. And so she, so she took me through a mentoring. And said, "Your story is so profound. You don't need all that stuff." Just come right back and Let's be real. And she 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 helped me create like this is her book as much as mine. She helped me create and helped me bring it to the to what it, what it is now. Yeah. So yeah, been incredible. Yeah, it's hard to not only the school side of things, but the life, your childhood, and all everything combined to to even fathom that you can now be. An international award-winning, you know, like it, it is. It's, yeah, it you is. had you yeah. had everything against you, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. back backs against the wall. Ah, oh, it just, it's it's not only obviously there's there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of help in there for a lot of people on a lot of angles. But that alone, on with Dave, that's just mind blowing. Mm. What your son said to you, you know, you had bugger all <laughs> school, and. Um, yeah, you're you're an author, and uh, yeah, it's incredible, Eugene. So, the full title of the book? 
the 10 elements of transformational healing, how to rebuild your life after trauma. We'll obviously put that in the show notes for our listeners. Um, oh, Eugene, I, I, I've caught up with you once before and I was lost for words then. I, I think I still am now. Jeez, I, I, nearly, I nearly joined the tissue club about 10, yeah, five minutes ago. It's um, <laughs> You're just so brave and that's what I see in it a lot of bravery on so many angles, what you've done with your kids, what you've done with, with your life basically is your real credit. And I'm, I'm grateful you've written this book and I'm grateful you've come on the podcast today and, and helped our community. Mm. Um, it's just incredible. We have a lighter side to the podcast because it's <laughs> not all heavy and, you know, serious. We have a bit of a fun side. So I'm going to ask you a few questions here. Okay. Not too much thought. Camper or a five star? Camper. Pineapple on pizza? Yay or nay? Uh, someone actually beat me up on that the other day and they heard me say pineapple. They'll never talk to me, so nay. <laughs> <laughs> Early riser or a night owl? Early riser. Early riser. Beach or snowfields? Oh. Can you say land? Neither. Yeah, <laughs> land. Uh, lager or craft beer? Lager. If you could write a little sentence on your gravestone one day, what would it be? What words of wisdom? What do you want to be remembered by? Ah, uh, yeah. So um, that I help one person change their lives. And I reckon you've done that. Yeah, absolutely. I think you've done that. Tenfold, Eugene. Can I just say, Eugene, take everything that comes your way from here on, you know, mm. just soak up all the positive vibes that come your way and all the all the amazing uh, senses of emotion and gratification that come your way from others. It, soak it all in because you've, uh, you've deserved it. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Eugene. Thank Go you. the pies. <laughs> <laughs> This episode was edited by Deadset Podcasting. If you want your podcast to sound this good, check out deadsetpodcasting.com forward slash services. Get the sound you're chasing.